Ladies and gentlemen, rebel scum and loyal to the Empire, this is Sith Talk, the show that talks all things Star Wars movies, Star Wars comics, Star Wars books, which we haven't talked about lately, and of course Star Wars TV. I am your host, Zach Chrisman, aka the Lord of Lore, and joining me is Brandon the Bendu. Brandon, this is Sith Talk. How the fuck are you doing? I'm fucking awesome. Yeah. I can say that. I can yeah. say that on this one. Yeah, there you go. Um one of the things that I am just kind of like to get right out of the gate is how are you feeling about the new high Republic? Because I, I know that I have not read anything, but I just want to get like a general vibe on this new iteration. So, uh, Lindsay and I just recorded last night about this. Uh, we talked about eye of darkness and dude, when I say hitting on all cylinders, I mean, hitting on all cylinders. Um, Light and Life was great. Uh, I loved the majority of the stories in there. There were one or two that I was kind of like, I could take it or leave it. But most of them were were either really solid stories or, or were great stories. Eye of Darkness, man, is it's it's really really good. And in, you you know my opinion on High Republic. Like, it, I love the initiative. Um, and I love the world that they're building, but it hasn't been any of the individual books that have really like hit my top tier other than like Test of Courage, uh, which I know is like a middle grade. So people kind of disqualify it as like what the best uh, Star Wars book is. Uh, it's always been like the one shots for me, you know, that really stand out. So High Republic's always been really interesting and like I love everything about it, but it also doesn't even crack my top 10 in books, right? And I don't know if Eye of Darkness does that, but it is the one that has the best chance of doing that. Um, the I won't go into spoilers because people can listen to the the Don't Burn the Sacred Text if they want to get into to spoiler yeah, conversation. Sure. I don't want to ruin the journey for you, but there is this is kind of a, just a idea to go into into the book with. It's a lot more focused on the characters you're supposed to focus on. So what I mean by that is we kind of called the crop of of Jedi that we had at the end of uh, phase one, right? And so now there are less of our main character Jedi. And that was one of my issues in phase one was like, I don't really feel like we get to spend a lot of time with any of the characters. I don't feel like I really get to know them or care about them and their wants and their needs. And I will just say I feel completely different about a couple characters um, after reading Eye of Darkness and what they're going to do with their future and really what it could mean for the future of the Jedi Order. Yeah, um, so I, I've i had to step away from the High Republic, not because I don't love them, but because, you know, it's I, there, there are certain series that I get into with books, but it's been a while since I took on something that wasn't Star Wars, so I had to kind of step away to come back um earlier this year the phase two high republic i really really loved it i still don't feel like we got a proper ending to that chapter and i think that's probably for a reason but i was skeptical about about them just like going back in time and i ended up really really loving it and when it ended i wanted more of everything the characters that we left in phase one 
And then also the characters that we have in Phase 2. I just had to step away, and I've been pretty much reading Stephen King since late September. I've been trying to get through his Dark Tower series and then all the books related, like the major books related to the series. So it's about a 10-book undertaking, and I have one book left. So after I get done with this book, I'm going to hop into Phase 3 High Republic and jump back in. But that's good that I'm hearing a lot of good things about it, um, because... I can't wait to jump back in, and I feel like a break is gonna is has been really nice for me to just step away from Star Wars only and get inside another writer's head. Yeah, I mean, the Phase Two stuff has already started playing a role in Eye of Darkness. Um, not a, I won't say a huge role, but you can see they're they're setting up that they're going to connect the threads, um, and. So I'm, I'm excited about having that come forward. I'm also like, I personally am excited about the fact that it's going to take a while for all these books to come out. You know, it, we're not getting the final book of High Republic until uh, 2025. And so there's going to be more room to breathe. So I think, you know, we, we kind of got slammed with here's phase one. And it's these three, you know, releases with three books each. And then phase two all happens in a matter of like six months. Like it happened super quickly. Right. And so I've enjoyed it, but I also felt like we haven't gotten a lot of time to breathe with it. And here we're going to get that time. And I'm, I'm not much for, for going outside of Star Wars. I usually spend a lot of my time in, in Star Wars books and going back and rereading stuff and pulling legend stuff and things like that. Um, but there is a, a palate cleanse when you're able to go back and reread other books or things like that. And so I'm kind of hoping we get a little bit more of that as we're stewing on the High Republic and, and looking at where they're going to go. Because I got to tell you, dude, there are definitely I, I don't this is not a, a, a knock on the book, but I have no idea where they're going. <laughs> and like in a very good way, like the stuff they set up is extremely compelling the character relationships they're continuing to develop and, and even enhance are, you know, both you're able to invest in them and they're really high stakes, um, both for the characters and for how they're going to impact the galaxy. So I think when we get to the end of High Republic uh, in 2025, when we get to Charles Sewell's final book, um, I'm very confident we're going to have a nice ribbon on the end of this that we're going to be able to go. I... I can see how this moves towards the future, but it's also a beautiful self-contained story. And I think that's what Star Wars works best. You know, you have the original trilogy, the prequel trilogy, and the sequel trilogy. Each of those works on their own. They have a beginning, middle, end. You know, they yes, they set up threads, but let's say we get, you know, the prequels by themselves, and you end with, you know, Obi-Wan handing off Luke, and you've got this new hope and everything. And maybe it wouldn't have been executed exactly like that if it's just the prequels, but you could have that story, and you could leave it where people can fill in, okay, there's hope still out there. Like, that's the message that's going on, and I can imagine what's going to happen with these characters later on. So I think we're going to the track record is we'll probably lose a bunch of High Republic characters, but I think we're going to be at a place where we're going to be able to think about um, where these characters are going forward and, and maybe even get more stories with them outside of a formal, like, High Republic initiative. 
Yeah, because to me, Fallen Star is still one of my all-time favorite Star Wars books. I, I think Eye of Darkness will beat it. We'll we'll beat it. Yeah, that's that's a hype thing. And one of the things I like to add is, um, and I may do this with the High Republic books because I'm going to definitely do it with King uh, Drew. I think it was Drew had mentioned that he started rereading. He read Light of the Jedi, and it helped. Like rereading it, I don't know who it was. I maybe. Oh no, that was me. It was that was me. you. Was, I'm giving you. Yeah. And and it helped put all these pieces together and and show some of the foreshadowing because with King's book, uh, when I get done with the Dark Tower, I'm actually going to go back and read the first book, The Gunslinger, um, because a lot of people recommend that once you know everything, starting from just the chap, the first chapter of this series puts a lot of that foreshadowing in so much perspective that it just it glorifies the series as a whole so i think like getting to uh the end of the actual um high republic books that are out right now i might actually go back and do light of the jedi again just because i kind of like that idea i've never thought about reading the first of many books um after you finish them but i i like the idea in certain yeah. respects. I think in certain respects it follows. It's really just a time situation, right? Like, I'm very limited on time. and Why well, Audible? I'd never yeah. be able to read, like, actual books and burn yeah, through I the can't, way I am. I can't, I can't do that. Um, I, I zone in and out too much, so I have to be able to... I, I can do it if it's a book that I've read, but I can't read a book the first time by listening to it. And so... For me, going back and revisiting a book is a time investment, you know, which I, I don't mind making. And there are books that it's certainly worth it. But I also feel like this responsibility because Lucasfilm is so great to and, and Disney Publishing to get us these books ahead of time, you know, and, and Lindsay and I have the book show on here. So I'm always trying to keep up with what's coming out. So like... Devor and I were talking about looking forward to 2024 on the last episode of the Clashing Sabers podcast. And like one of the things I'm kind of excited about about this year is there's not a ton of releases coming out. Like we don't know a lot of what's coming out. And I know we're going to get into that with some of the shows and stuff, but like especially books, there's not a ton of announcements about books that are coming out uh, this next year. And so I'm kind of honestly excited about that, that maybe we'll get that chance to go back and revisit stuff. Yeah, and I always find, like, in fandom, um, taking breaks, at least for me, because I, I, I feel like at least uh, with the sequel trilogy, it was and it was something that I wanted to do, but it was nonstop. Like, it was burned through every book, every movie. Watch the YouTube videos. Try and connect the dots. And so when that ended, then you had Mandalorian. But once that was done, it was like... Oh, okay, this is nice. And I, I appreciate when people take like little breathers. And I love that the High Republic doesn't do slow and steady. They they kind of do these these uh, phase releases that like catch your attention and then go away for a second. Yeah, I mean, it's going to be different now. Like we're getting essentially one adult novel a year. We got this one in 2023. We're getting one next year in 2024 and one in 2025. Yeah, And of course, we'll have the middle grades and there's some YAs and stuff thrown in there. You got comics and everything. It's not there's not no High Republic content coming out, but it's going to be spaced out like we haven't had before. So I'm 
I'm just intrigued to see how that affects the story and, and how they're going to tell the story. Uh, you know, are there going to be major time jumps in between uh, these books? Like, we don't know. You know, there was a couple months in between some of the ones in phase one. There was almost nothing. Uh, when we look at phase two, like, it was everything was back to back to back after Battle of Jeddah. So. Yeah, it's gonna be it's gonna be an exciting journey. Twenty twenty four is gonna be a really interesting uh, year in Star Wars because we thought we kind of had an idea, and then the strikes happened and kind of threw everything for a loop. And we are one hundred percent behind uh, the people striking to, to get what they deserve and protect their uh, ability to uh, you know earn a sustainable living. But it does have impacts. It does have you know, every action has, you know, an equal and opposite reaction. And so uh, that's kind of what we're looking at of 2024 is outside of some major things that they've announced, we don't know a lot of the extra stuff that's actually, whether it's actually going to happen or not. And it's, it's, it's worth it because, you know, writers that are on a um, Emmy award winning TV show should probably be able to afford their rent. You know, Um, it's a crazy concept, isn't it? I'm speaking to the writers of the bear who uh, was living paycheck to paycheck um, to live, and he was being awarded a Emmy for his amazing work on The Bear. And if you haven't seen The Bear, go watch The Bear. The Bear is awesome. Like, it's just, it's so good. But we're not here to talk about The Bear. Talking about TV shows, talking about writers, we have been very excited. Um, Star Wars has been, we feel like it's been taking forever for them to try something new outside of the High Republic, but for years now we've known that some newer things have been coming along. That being which uh, would be Star Wars Skeleton Crew and Star Wars The Acolyte. Um, So let's get into that. Um, Let's do it. Star Wars Skeleton Crew tells a story of four kids who find themselves lost in the vastness of the galaxy trying to find their way home. The series will ar- will arrive on Disney Plus in 2024. Do you want me to read The Acolyte, or do you want to stop and talk about Skeleton Crew first? Oh, I mean, I could... Uh, my thought on Skeleton Crew is, is just... Jude Law's handsome? Sure, but I... I I don't even know if this show is going to happen, to be totally honest with you. Like, this is a show, I'm like, why haven't they said anything about what the show is? Like, okay, I hear what you just said of, you know, kids lost in space trying to find their way home. But, like, we've heard all of these things of, it's Stranger Things, it's Goonies, it's this, it's that. But nobody actually has an idea of what the show is going to be, so... We could skip right over Skeleton Crew, to be honest, because I'm just like, I I don't even know what to think about it. Like, any judgment I would pass on it right now, I just feel like would be unfair to the later version of me to be able yeah. to, you know, watch this show if and when it actually comes out. Because I feel like the release keeps getting pushed back. It was like, it's coming in 2023, and then maybe 24, and then 25, and then, oh, wait, we were wrong, back to 24. So I just don't even know what to believe with this show. The only reason that I have a little bit of love and hope for Skeleton Crew isn't in what we've been given. It's simply in the showrunner, um, John Watts. What mm-hmm. he did to the Spider-Man trilogy in a world where there was um, a million different variations of Spider-Man in five seconds, and yet 
I feel like he told an original story that was new. Um, no Way Home had uh, something that could have very easily seemed like a gimmick, and he turned it into um, one of the most memorable fandom things in the world, not because it was a cameo, but because it actually mattered to the story and showed mm-hmm. so much love within the overall universe of Spider-Man that I'd love to see what he offers in Star Wars showing that same love because the guy didn't just say, I'm going to make everything my own. I'm going to do everything different like we've been getting with some of the directors in Star Wars, and I'm not throwing shade on those visions, directions, whatever, but he actually incorporated like, no, I'm going to tie all this in and put a warm hug around your heart for these other two Spider-Men. Oh, and by the way, they don't just show up, say hi, and you get a good clickbait laugh. Like, they actually matter in these stories. Um, So I'm excited because John Watts stepped down from doing Fantastic Four to do this series. So I feel like for him to do that, I feel like there's a special place in his heart. Yes, it's still working within Disney. He essentially just moved over the department, but I feel like you wouldn't walk away from a major motion picture to do a star Wars streaming series. If you didn't have a little bit of passion behind it. So that's the only reason I'm holding out on skeleton crew. And even then it's still like, let's see where this goes. I'm invested in the idea of this because I believe in the director. I'm invested in in the idea because it has star Wars in front of it. And anything you put, well, no, what anything you put Star Wars in front of, I'm gonna invest in. You know, like this is a, it's a major part of my life and who I am and how I identify and how I get through, you know, this crazy thing we call life, right? And so you put Star Wars in front of it, you've got me behind it, saying, "All right, cool, let's see what you can do here." But I'm also just like very cautious. Um, and, and it's not even because I've gotten burned by the shows themselves, but it's just the announcements and all of these announcements coming out about this thing's happening and that thing's happening and then coming back and later it's not happening or it's moved or it's, we're in production and we're in talks and st- and all of that stuff just makes me really anxious and nervous. So I'm kind of at this point where like, I'm excited about anything. I've I've loved all of the shows. Like I just rewatched Obi Wan. It's freaking great. Like people complain about that show. It is so good. It's ridiculous. Like book book of Boba Fett. Awesome. Like it's a great fun Star Wars show. You won't get me on book of Boba Fett, but you'll get me on Obi Wan and specifically the fan cut, the fan movie of Obi Wan, where they replace the music and they cut everything, um, and it feels like one long movie. Um, I've, I'm still consistent with what I say. I think Obi-Wan is some of the best Star Wars we've ever had, but also has had some of the most, um, not useless, that's unfair. It's also had some stuff that I felt like was very much, it felt stretched thin to become a show when it should have been a movie. And so that's why I watched the movie edit. But I, I, but, I but see... That that kind of goes to what I was talking about, though, right? Like, Obi-Wan was a movie, and then it was a not yep. happening, and then it was, oh, this is just a rumor, and then it's a TV show. Wait, no, it's a movie. And it was years and years of back and forth and conjecture about it. And while I, I like, you know, speculating about the potential of Star Wars and stuff like that, I don't want to spend a lot of my energy on 
this thing that keeps waffling back and forth. It's like the Ryan Johnson trilogy. I'm at a point now, if it happens, awesome, but I'm not losing any sleep over it. Because you can keep saying you're in talks, you're in talks, like all of this stuff, but you're you're not around, you're not involved, and, and I love Ryan Johnson. Like, I have no... I love The Last Jedi. This is not me holding a grudge or being upset with them or anything like that. But like all the signs are pointing to you're you're not going to do it unless like something changes. And so I'm not going to spend a lot of time worrying about those those rumors and expectations. And so it's kind of like that with Skeleton Crew. Like I understand cognitively that it's happening, but emotionally until you give me something to truly invest in beyond the Star Wars at the front of it, I'm just not, I'm not spending a lot of time on it. And I'm not even, I'm not trying to be pessimistic. Like I'm literally just neutral on it until we actually get something. Well, and to, I don't, to, to I, yeah, I don't, I don't think it's negative. Um, because to me at this point, and I'm not trying to sound rude, but fool me once, fool me twice. And I think at this point as a Star Wars fan, when something gets announced, you would, you would kind of be a fool to just take them at their word. Because they're very happy at just saying, this is what we're doing, this is what we're doing, and then you find out that it's, you know, not happening. And one of the things that kind of doesn't really, will come back to the Acolyte, but like one of the things that I'm, that, I, that I'm holding my flag is, I don't think Taika Waititi's ever making a Star Wars film. I, I just don't. Like, at this point, I really don't. It was announced so long ago, and he keeps just saying, I'm not in a rush. Thor Love and Thunder, all the interviews, they ask him about it. Oh, huh, I don't even know what to do with the script. And then he's, you know, made comments about, like, Marvel recently and how he never planned on doing it, but he wanted to feed his kids, and that's all a bunch of bullshit. He's just jaded by the reception of Love and Thunder, and it feels like he's kind of stepping away from Disney in a sense based on his Marvel comments and then based on his Star Wars comments I'm not in any rush which I think not being in a rush is a great thing to do I think you should come out when the product's ready but given the current the given the track record that's happened like even Ryan Johnson still has like said oh yeah it might happen one day and it's still on the announcements list but that thing's not ever happening because Ryan Johnson has like a 500 million dollar deal with Netflix to come out with two Knives Out movies like that guy's busy and he's also swimming in cash off better deals it's the same thing with like Zack Snyder all these DC fans that want him to come back bring back the Snyder Cut and it's like no dude Zack Snyder has moved on like He's got a wicked Netflix deal right now that he's going to continue doing. He's not going back, especially with new leadership going on. Like, it's just one of those things where at this point you would almost kind of have to be, um, you would have to be a little bit of a fool to just take them at their word. So I don't blame you for that. And mine might be a little bit harsher than yours, but like, yeah, I mean, when we get these announcements about the Ray movie, and we're seeing that production's heading this way. I think that's great. We'll talk about that later. Um, I think that James Mangold will stick because he is a director that even though Indiana Jones didn't financially pull through the way they thought it had, he's a big enough director with a lot of um, awards under his belt that he he will have to stick. But you're not you're not a fool for not taking it at face value at this point. Yeah, I mean, if we if we think okay, those three movies that they announced—the Ray, the Filoni, and the uh, Mangold movie—actually happen, uh, 
then we're looking at if a Taika Waititi movie were to come out 2030 at the earliest. And it's like, is he really planning for his 2030? I highly doubt that. I think what what he has, I think, is a more or less handshake agreement of you get this figured out. You let us know. You can make a movie. But we're going to stick over here. We're going to be producing the stuff that we've got in the works right now. And and I'm okay with that. You know, I I, I would rather somebody have that kind of deal. Somebody with the status of Taika Waititi or even a James Mangold or somebody like that. Hey, like, we want you to make a Star Wars movie. You bring us a good, solid story. We will green light it. We will make sure you have everything you need to be successful. But we're going to focus on what we're producing and what we've already got in the pipeline. I think that's a good situation to put people in because then you take the pressure off of, I've got to make this great Star Wars movie or else, and it becomes, if I can make this great Star Wars movie, I will. And I think that's a much healthier place to work out of. I think that's a place where Filoni works out of. You know, like he doesn't make stories because he has to. He's making these stories because he wants to and he feels he can tell a good, compelling story that will continue on what George Lucas started. And so even his comments recently about he doesn't want it to feel the same as everything else, I think, is is part of continuing on that legacy. So I would rather that mindset of I'm not going to tell this story unless it is worth telling. I'm not going to tell this story just because I can, because or I got this deal. Too, and we made right. my, my, my only problem uh, um, with what they're doing is I love that idea. I think we should be doing that with every major filmmaker in Hollywood like, hey. Write us a treatment. We'll pay you for the treatment. Uh, we might not go ahead with your movie, but if there's anybody out there, like any major director, like let's take meetings, let's talk, let's get your vision. Write us up a treatment. We might greenlight it. Like who? There's so many directors that would love to the opportunity to even get into Lucasfilm, but yet we just keep announcing it. Like people forget the Taika Waititi film was supposed to be released in 2023. When it first got announced, it was yeah. coming in 2023. And that slipped away like the birds. Like, it just, it slips away like the birds. Um, well, and, that kind of leads us to to the Filoni thing, right? Because yeah. I think that's going to have a major impact on how stories are told going forward and which creators are brought in. Because... The, I love Kathleen Kennedy. I definitely think she's made some huge mistakes in her running of Lucasfilm. I think some of those things fall on Disney and not on her in terms of specifically with the Bob Chapek era. Yeah. So, like, this is not a knock on her, but I think having a creative uh, head like this is going to be good for business. It's going to be good for the story as well because. Not only is it Dave Filoni, who is the the protege and Padawan of George Lucas, that's a great thing to have on board in any place. And I think he's always been thought of as somebody who could come in the room and speak his mind, regardless yeah. of who was in there. So in, in that aspect, I don't think he's going to be adding anything in, in terms of you know, making sure stuff fits within Star Wars. And, and I don't think he's been sitting in the background or anything like that. But one, putting him earlier in the process, and two, I, th- I am thinking that this role is going to put him in contact with these creators in developing their stories earlier on so that maybe we don't get so many announcements until they have stuff sorted out. Like, it, 
if you put it in the hands of somebody who knows storytelling rather than somebody who knows business, I think it becomes better for business. And Kathleen Kennedy is a great producer and she is, is headed a lot of the amazing stories that we have, but I don't think you look at Jurassic Park or E.T. or anything like that and go, that's a Kathleen Kennedy movie. Like Kathleen Kennedy is really good at putting people in the positions they need to to win. And that is not an easy thing to do in Hollywood. So that is not in any way taking away from her accomplishments. But that's not the same thing as putting, you know, helping people tell a great story. Mm -hmm. And so that's what I think we're going to be getting with Filoni, where maybe you get more of these situations where we're we're in talks with Taika. You know, we'd love him to, to make a movie if he can. Great. But we've got this Ray stuff we're focused on and developing the the dawn of the Jedi era and yada yada yada. Well, and and arguably, um, you know, to to kind of give you like um, to give anybody listening a quick breakdown, Bob Iger was always a big fan as a CEO of putting the hands of the product in the creatives. Like the, the creatives get the control. And that sounds like a fancy loving word that every CEO would say so that people love him. But it was true. He gave Kevin Feige full reign to create this Marvel vision that everybody loves. And who's been the problem child as of uh, recent? Marvel. And that is because the CEO that replaced him created a bunch of corporate layers that stopped Kevin Feige from actually being able to create. Oh, and by the way, his first mission was let's put more shows on Disney plus it's the focal point. So Marvel just started coming out with all this stuff, fast tracking. Kevin doesn't have the power. Kevin is a creative and yes, he is a film producer. He has both. He is a blend and he is a rare breed, a guy who can do the business end and also the creative. Kathleen Kennedy is a producer. That means she gets shit done. You need a film guy. You need a catering crew. You need this, that, whatever for to make your film. I got you, Steven. I can make this happen for Raiders. I can make these things. She's very much a keen eye on the business end. So for me, this is to Dave Filoni being creative. Um, what is it? What is the title? Uh, creative officer at Lucasfilm is kind of the best of both worlds because Kevin Feige is a rare breed. So if she plays it outright as head of Lucasfilm and truly does allow him to do his job, you have a woman who is so knowledgeable and powerful on getting the productions done on set on time, which she did with Force Awakens, had like five seconds to get a script, get the film going, and boom, she did do that. Um, but then you also have somebody creatively checking in on these guys. And to quote Dave Filoni, you know, and he says, in the past, in a lot of projects, I would be brought into it. I would see it after it was already developed uh, a good ways. Essentially saying, there was nothing I can do. And I think somebody like a Dave Filoni stepping in and saying, okay, you got this script here. How does it make sense with the bigger universe? And I think that's what Dave Filoni does best. Dave Filoni can even take the prequels, which I love, but, you know, some people don't, and make masterful stories that make them better. You know, when you look at Rebels, he elevates the stories that George made. When you're looking at The Mandalorian, Ahsoka, he has elevated going into the sequels. He just elevates the things. He takes it for what it is, and he elevates it. And, and he also makes it feel 
Like, it's inside this universe. Like, with Rebels, incorporating Clone Wars stuff in the universe with the Empire. All these things that... It's not like Dave Filoni's like, oh, hey, uh, you're in this timeline. Maybe we should throw C-3PO in here. I, I think when I look at Creative Officer, I look at him saying, I think this story has grounds for approval. And if I'm looking at the script and this timeline, maybe incorporate this tiny detail. And I think that's what Dave Filoni does best is he, he knows how to tell stories, but he also knows how that universe looks. And I think that's a keen eye. And honestly, I think Dave Filoni has a long way to go um, being a director. Um, and I don't mean that in a bad way. I mean, like his skills just keep growing from being the TV guy to now doing Mandalorian to doing Ahsoka, which primarily I really, really loved Ahsoka. There were a couple things that felt a little more animation, but it's an adjustment phase. I think he's going to be a great director one day, but this is arguably a very good move on Lucasfilm probably one of the best moves if they utilize him actually and this isn't just a title much like charles soul getting his title yeah and and i think one i think kathleen kennedy is kind of setting up for her retirement um there were some other moves within the company mm-hmm. um that filled jobs uh that used to be on kathleen kennedy's uh table right yep. so i think that's one thing which I mean, she's in her late 70s, like let the woman have a life outside of, you know, working for a major corporation for a little while. But you're 100% right. Like, I think Kathleen Kennedy takes away all the barriers that stops somebody from being able to tell a great story. And Dave Filoni puts everything in place that enables somebody to tell a good story. And so if you can continue on that dynamic and whoever, you know, comes up next I think you're in a really good position. And I kind of talked about this a little bit with DeVore, but I I hope this is where we start developing what I'm going to call the legacy of Lucas because we have Dave Filoni and he's kind of continuing on what George Lucas was building, right? Taking it in new directions, all of those things, but he's, he's building off of what George taught him. And he always goes back to that and those tenants that George taught him. And I think now we're in a position where we can have him start doing that for the next person. And you kind of build up this person then becomes the CCO who then builds up the next one. And you, you build this pipeline where you have, you know, a couple proteges that will eventually take over as head of creative. And I think that that is where things work best. Like I, I, I see the flaws in the prequels and I think, the flaws in the prequels come down more to George not playing to his strengths and, you know, trying to write everything and direct everything and all of the stuff that he's talked about that he didn't like, right? That, that led to a lot of flaws in the prequels as much as I love them. But the reason the prequels and the original trilogy work so well the way that they do is because it was a singular vision. You had other people coming in and saying like, well, this is how this vision could play out. But George was the bottom line of like, no, this isn't the story I'm trying to tell. And I think that that is what we're going to get with Filoni. Like, oh, you want to do this? Well, that that goes against the story we're trying to tell. And we're not going to just change our story for this one thing. Like, we are trying to convey a greater message. We are trying to get to a certain destination. And I don't think that's for us, the fans, to know, and I'm okay with that, but we're trying to accomplish this thing within our our galaxy, and that's either 
going to contribute to it or not. And you can either add this in, tweak this or not. Like, I, I think there just needs to be a bottom line guy that comes in and says like, this is how things work here. This is how we're telling the stories. And he doesn't have to be a dick about it. Like, you obviously can do it in a creative way. I'm not saying he has to come around like with a red Sharpie and just X off everybody's, you know, uh, big poster boards where they're writing their ideas. But somebody to, to say the buck stops here with the stories. And I, I have never believed Kathleen Kennedy was that person. Um, just because, like we've been talking about, like she's not a storyteller herself. She is a a builder of storytellers, and she's really freaking good at it. She gets one of the best. Exactly, she is one of the best, if not the best, producer to ever walk the face of the earth. So that isn't like I think we, I think we take for granted all the stuff that producers do, and we just assume oh, producers, directors, executive producers, they they all just make the movies, and it's like no, they all have specific things that they do that make the movie work and then some and so of them we, just get paid to have their movie or their well, name yeah. on them on the movie yeah well then there's that but like the people that actually do the work like they all have different roles that's how this works and i think we lose sight of that a little bit and we just choose somebody who is at the forefront and we lay the blame on them because it's easier just to put it on one person and Personally, I don't think that's fair. But that's another tirade and rant for another time. Well, yeah, I mean, it goes back to, I mean, I think one of the best stories that has been told about what a producer does, um, there was a show on Hulu, I forget the title of it, but it, it is about, specifically the main character is the producer of The Godfather. From script all the way to the making of The Godfather. And it is down to the minute... How do we get set locations? How do we do this? How do we do that? And it shows what a producer actually does. Like when they're actually producing, it shows what they do. And that is what Kathleen Kennedy does. And I think this is, this, it's a great move if it is on her end or Bob Iger's. I don't really care of which because it all reflects both. It's a great end of saying like, hey, we learn. And it's also checks and balances because when it comes to creative and when it comes to a business, that's two different sides. And when you look at the Disney area, the Disney era with JPEG, it became very much about the business end, but we lacked that creative end, which is why all that flooding of Marvel came in. All these other things came in is because the producers were at the head, but lacked the creative mm-hmm. mindset. You have to have checks and balances with this, and it's overall checking and balancing the creative, which is the product that has to be good enough for people to want to buy into, and the business end, the marketing, the all of that. I mean, it's just, it's overall, it's all important, and we like to not talk about the nitty-gritty, which is the production end, and we love pointing fingers at those people. And when they're the ones running the show and they're not keeping creatives, I think it's earned. But this is a show like this is a show for hey, we hear you. And everything I've heard in the last couple of years with Kathleen Kennedy, with Star Wars, I've had one eye open in a good way because I'm seeing things change like, hey, we understand what's going on. We understand that there hasn't been one hundred percent happiness. There hasn't even really been 75%. The fandom went from everyone was psyched to Force Awakens to everybody was pissed to At Last Jedi. And it's been like that since. We're going to try and do something about that. And I appreciate that. And I also think that while I love The Last Jedi, 
it is very different than The Force Awakens. And then it goes mm-hmm. right back to something more aligned with The Force Awakens, and it is confusing. And if you have a creative officer saying, hey, we can't do this because of this, because this is a different... Like, this is just overall a different feel, and I think that's why I like The Last Jedi, but it also is probably why other people don't like it, and not... People like people don't have to like every movie, and I love it when people take chances, but you have to keep that stuff in check. And I think that's that's the point of this role. Yeah, I mean, I, I think you and I have talked about this before. I really think what's happened with the High Republic has opened their eyes a lot about how they enable creators to create and having a writer's room and a certain group of people that is the real focal point of telling the story. And of course you bring other people in to varying degrees, but these are your people that are are telling your story. And the one thing that I've always kind of read from Bob Iger and Kathleen Kennedy is like, this is my personal read on them. I haven't like read up on them. Uh, but I, I get the feeling that when it comes to the creative side of things, they don't have an ego about it. Now, let me be very clear. These are people in high positions of power in the United States of America. They've got big freaking egos. And Bob Iger is by far not perfect. Like his comments during yep. the strike were completely unacceptable. My one strike against old Grandpa Bob. I've loved him. Everything yeah. except that. Yeah. So like let's and, and let's also be honest about the fact that like the Bob Iger that is presented to us the public is a bit of a facade in terms of like it's very calculated with what he's going to say, right? So yep. there could be a lot of other stuff going on. But I don't think when it comes to the creative side of things, either one of them has the ego to go like, no, we're gonna do it my way because I'm the one that has the title. I they like you said with Kevin Feige. The boss. Exactly. With with Dave Filoni and John Favreau in The Mandalorian, you know, they put them in positions to tell a great stories and I'm really looking forward to that. And I think that's another thing. I mean that that can kind of transition us to the acolyte which I know you and I want to talk about because no, you've got Leslie Headley. hate that show. Oh, I know. It's going to be terrible. Um you're letting women write Star Wars? Ew. Oh my god, stop. <laughs> um Sorry, uh, we're two middle-aged white guys on a podcast. I thought that's what we were supposed to do. Um, so, no, but, like, putting a woman in a position to tell a story about a woman, like, is a great move. It's a very simple thing to do. It's something that somehow uh, the, the makers of Barbie, Warner Brothers, somehow completely missed that that's what made the movie work. But well, that's a whole nother tirade. <laughs> but like, uh, you know, putting these people in positions, you, you look back and you see interviews with Leslie Headland talking about how much she loves Star Wars. And she's thought of she's written Star Wars movies in her mind since she was seven years old. And she comes with this, hey, I've got this idea. Oh, cool. Like this fits in this part of the galaxy. And here, you know, here's what you need to know about that era. But go tell your story and tell a good one. And from everything that I've been able to tell, like enabling creators like that, uh, not just saying go play in the sandbox and make whatever you want, which is how they started with Star Wars. But going, okay, here's what the box looks like. Let's see how your pieces can put this puzzle together. It's a very different approach to it. And, I mean, 
I have not heard anybody who is not excited about the Acolyte. And I think that's a major reason why is we are, you said it very clearly, like we're starting to see these changes of their being more calculated about their announcements. As much as we kind of like ragged on them earlier, there hasn't been a ton of letdowns in the announcements that were outside of this was affected by the pandemic or this was affected by the strike. Now, or this a lot was of announced and simply not happening. That's been arguably yeah. my gripe. And that's why I haven't really had many gripes with Lucasfilm as of recent outside of that that whole thing. Because to be honest, like my, my, st- my, my stance has changed a lot in the last three years. And it may not seem like that, but like... I used to go on tangents about Kathleen Kennedy, mm-hmm. and I, I, I'm not, I'm not apologizing for that. I think everything from my point of view was valid, but I think everything that they have done has been okay. Let's assess what we're doing wrong, and the outside of the films being announced, which really, I mean, when you're looking at where the major changes started happening, you're looking at like 2021, like around the High Republic era, and around everything um, past that. That's when the changes really started happening, like, of how we're going to go forward with these certain things. So, really, the last two years, they have been really good. Yeah. And and you think about how good they've been despite all of the obstacles. Oh, yeah. You know? Which uh, we've already forgotten about. I mean, those are huge hurdles to go over. They are, but I also... God, this is... This, It's such a weird thing to say when you're talking about a worldwide pandemic and a strike. But I think for Star Wars, they're going to end up being a good thing because they were forced to put the brakes on on things and really make sure like we are the stuff that we're planning on making. We have no idea how long this pandemic is going to last. Right. If we are saying we're going to make these things during this time, we have to have a plan about how we're going to make them. We cannot just say willy nilly that we're going to make them because, oh, if it drops, well, it's fine. We're working on seven other things like there was a lot that went into making things happen during the pandemic and you have to be able to have a plan and execute. And I am totally okay with them making mistakes. I am totally okay with um, them changing how they are doing things. If they are doing it based off of learning from the past, like these we want, because we invest so much time and energy and passion into this brand, we want it to run smoothly and perfectly, but name one thing that does that. Like right. most of them, we just don't spend a ton of time. Like I'm sure if we go to Starbucks, like the it, behind the scenes at Starbucks is burning to the ground every single day. I'm sh- that like, that's just the reality of running a business. I always we just thank don't my spend, barista. Yeah. We just don't spend hours and hours you know, worrying about what happens at Starbucks, you know, like if you've ever worked in a restaurant, you know, this, like everything out in the dining room is fantastic, but people are holding knives to each other's throats when you get, you know, to the back of house, because that's what it takes sometimes to make these things work is those high pressure, high stress situations. And you're going to make mistakes in that kind of situation. And so I'm just, I'm really optimistic about uh, where we are moving forward just as a whole, even though I kind of am in a weird place of holding where I don't quite know what to expect because we have such limited information on the Acolyte. We have such limited information on these movies and, and skeleton crew and stuff. So, um, yeah, I mean, well, as much I still as don't I, believe anything's happening until it happens, but... Right, and I, and I guess from 
me the last couple of years, what has also changed in my life is I have taken over my family's company. And so when you talk about the back end of the kitchen, I'm like, hell yeah, that's me. I'm the back end of the kitchen. When people are like, hey, blah, 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 I need this. And I'm like, I got guys scheduled here, there, whatever. Um, yeah, I can figure this out and I can help you out with this, this, and this. Like it, it, it But yeah, they're, they're like, hey, yeah, great customer service. But in my head, you know, there's just like a dumpster fire of um, what is not the emoji movie, but... Um, what is it where there there's anger, sadness, and inside all that. out, inside out. It is inside out. Like it is just a, a brain of emotions. That's just like, Oh, we can do this. Rah! We can't. Rah! And so I guess yeah. I'm a little more understanding. And what I've learned from being in business and running the business for two years is that you have to adjust and learn. You keep learning from your mistakes. Maybe I shouldn't have said yes here. Maybe I should have done this better. Maybe I should have caught these warning signs over here. And when they're doing it and they're adjusting, I have a much more appreciation for it than I did two years ago because I understand what that feels like. But to slide into something new, let's get into the little tidbit of information that we got from the Acolyte, which doesn't feel like much, but to me, it still shows a lot of hope. Star Wars The Acolyte will premiere on Disney Plus in 2024. The series is a mystery thriller, love that, that will take viewers into a galaxy of shadowy secrets and emerging dark side powers in the final days of the High Republic era. Yeet! A formal Padawan reunites with her master to investigate a series of crimes, but the forces they confront are more sinister than they ever anticipated. What do you make of that, my friend? I make of that that I'm Love. really excited. Yeah, I mean, it sounds like something that's very clearly Star Wars, uh, but also very clearly something new. Um, we we haven't really done the mystery thing. Um, we've had like crime stuff going on, but that's been like usually following the people that are committing the crimes or you know screwing over the people that are committing the crimes it hasn't been a lot of i guess uh police work style stuff so that'll be new and interesting and i mean this is the kind of detail that gets me excited that i was talking about with skeleton crew that i feel like we're missing like this kind of synopsis of here is where we are starting our story and that allows us as fans to speculate and make that investment in the story and I'm very invested in the story. I'm very invested in the High Republic era. I'm super excited to see what threads they might tie in. I don't think it's going to be like that big of a deal. I highly doubt if Leslie Headland has had time to read all the High Republic books, uh, but I definitely think she got a crash course on you know what was going to affect her story and what things she could pull in. We've got leaked images of. of you know, people wearing the the white robes from Light of the Jedi and stuff. So I'm very excited about this show. I, I think DeVore put it perfectly that this show is going to decide the future of Star Wars, at least Star Wars television and possibly all of Star Wars storytelling. Because if this goes well, I think it's going to open the door to enable them to do what they wanted to do when Disney first purchased Lucasfilm, which was, we're going to tell all these different genre type stories within star Wars. And they came out with this idea and didn't really know how they were going to do it. And I think this is, they 
this is them figuring it out and hopefully finally figuring it out. Um, and if this goes well, I think we get a whole bunch of new style stories that are not all intertwined like we've gotten in the Mandoverse, which is fantastic. I've loved the Mandoverse. I love Book of Boba Fett, Mandalorian, Ahsoka. And as much as I rag on it, I'm sure I'll love Skeleton Crew. But um, but they're both arguably shows that are different than the status quo. Skeleton Whether, Crew and Acolyte? Yes, because they are telling yeah. they're they're changing up the status quo of Star Wars. But but Skeleton Crew is is within that Mando version is going to be connected to that story. Acolyte is something separate. It's outside of the Skywalker Saga era. But it is new it because we're dealing with kids primarily, which we haven't really ever done. And I and while we don't know the tone and and just for full I mean, we've dealt with kids. What, do you, what Clone Wars and Rebels? Okay, but I'm talking about a primarily kid-based Stranger Things style of TV, which is how it's been described. It's a different. It's it's going to be a different feel, and at the very least, I think it's a it's it's still technically taking a chance. And while I still agree with you, one, the Acolyte description is way better than Skeleton Crew. Well, the yeah, hints and- on Acolyte seem way better. It's still, I think, it's going to be different than what the status quo is. So it's like. Like, the status quo right now is the Mandoverse thing, where all of these TV shows that we're telling are either interconnected with each other or past characters, right? Obi-Wan and Andor. And this is new characters. As far as your general audience is concerned, a completely new era. It's disconnected from any of the stories being told in television, as far as we know. It's disconnected from the Skywalker saga, as far as we know. Uh, You know, like, this is... If this goes well, and I, I have no reason to believe that it won't, then I think we are able to take Star Wars in a lot of new directions. I don't think this will be like the end of the Mandoverse or no. that we will never get these interconnected stories again, but I think that they have seen of late the problem with having all of these interconnected stories on tv um but also the same feel i mean they the mandoverse has the same style of feel like even though i love ahsoka it has the same feel as a mandalorian as far as like the vibes the tone stuff like that i think if uh specifically with the acolyte if that works it says okay we can tell stories that are in star wars but are different as in their genre itself, because what Marvel arguably did is once they got out of Avengers, the first one, they started telling genre stories within superhero characters. And that was when they were arguably the best Dr. Strange, very weird, mystical type magic thing. But then you have Captain America, the winter soldier, which is a 70s spy thriller. You have all these different genres within the actual world itself and it made things interesting. And and hopefully if the Acolyte works, and, and we're just going off the description, mystery thriller, a.k.a. two Jedis, the detectives, investigating something, that might say, okay, yeah, we can do something a little bit different than what we've been doing. Yeah, I think so. And, and you know, you just need one win to start taking you in a different direction, you know? Yeah, and, and just to add to you, you like a uh, test of courage, correct? Love it. Okay, so yeah, Vern is in the acolyte. 
Oh, I know, dude. Yeah. So they are connecting um, some somewhat of the Acolyte. And, and we know there's a Wookiee, but I don't think it's been confirmed if it is... Uh, what's his name? Buryaga. Buryaga. Um, yeah. But we are getting some connective tissue, which is a little bit too... It, it, it's rewarding. It doesn't matter. No, not really. But it shows that they are still going into that that world itself and for me from a star wars fan who likes reading the books it makes me want to read all of Vern's story just to see where she ends up because she's going to be so much older than what she was and i think it's still fun to dive deep in that yeah but the acolyte the the acolyte is just me and Lindsay have done episodes of the acolyte it, it's just filled with so much speculation around it that you're going to be wrong at every turn mm-hmm. yet you can't just it's like it's like a poison that you just want to spew out like you just want to talk stupid hypotheticals and i just i remember like 2 years ago me and Lindsay were talking about <clears throat> like what if bane is involved and blah 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 and how they can move this around and like am i wrong probably but like it's still fun to like just where is this picking up? How is it going? Well, here's the thing. Like, we've we've never had this little of an idea about what a show like this was going to be. So this is a show that is starting something new, right? So when we look at what that has looked like for Disney on-screen stuff, we're talking Force Awakens, we're talking Mandalorian. Like, that is the stuff that was like, this is something brand new we haven't seen before. Uh, we had no idea where the sequel trilogy was going. We had no idea where Mandalorian was going, right? And it, we're kind of in the same situation with Acolyte. But with Force Awakens and with Mandalorian, we were able to speculate because of what we know about the galaxy already, right? We know Han, Luke, and Leia. We were able to speculate about these new characters that were coming because we know how the the movies have worked thus far. Mandalorian, oh, it's about a bounty hunter. We know how bounty hunters work. This is what a bounty hunter story could look like. Now, they they went directions we weren't planning on them to go or didn't think they were going to go. And, you know, obviously, the sequel trilogy has had mixed reactions and Mandalorian's been pretty much universally loved. But with Acolyte, we don't have any foundation to build off of. So we have... We're starting this new adventure. We have no idea what the galaxy is going to look like at this point because, yes, we're in the High Republic era, but we're at the end. We're right at that middle point between High Republic and leading into the prequels. So this is, like, it's it's fun to speculate and think on it because I think we're not going to be disappointed when it's not what we expected because we don't have any real foundation. I think that there were... People in the sequel trilogy were obviously upset because it wasn't what they expected. I think with Mandalorian, it kind of went hard the other way of it was so unexpected that it brought people back around like, oh my God, we've got a Yoda, uh, baby Yoda here. Like it changed the game for everybody. With Acolyte, I don't think we're going to have any of those kinds of swings to one side or the other. I think it's going to be much more like... Yeah, I, th- I thought this could have been what the story was, but man, did they just completely blow me out of the water. And oh, I didn't know that this was what that time period was going to look like. So my ideas are irrelevant anyways. So I'm not going to really get upset about them not 
making the fantasy world that I created in my head because they're creating something else over here. So I think that leads to a lot of potential to to get a story that is is going to push Star Wars forward, which is funny to say when we're going back in time to, to the High Republic era. But um, and, and it's going to set the stage for what things are going to look like, at least for whatever the, the next set of shows we get greenlit um, are. Because we really like we know end of Bad Batch, we know Skeleton Crew, Tales of Jedi Season 2, but we don't really have anything new other than Acolyte coming out. Like, we have continuations of stuff, so... Well, I feel but we like also have the, Dawn of the Jedi eventually, if it happens. But, but that's a movie. Okay, there we go. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm talking just shows. Like, we don't yeah. have a slate of shows of, like, hey, this is the next set of stuff that's coming out, like we did with Book of Boba Fett and Obi-Wan and Tales of the Jedi originally and the, those things. Like, we haven't had that announcement because we haven't had a celebration. And so uh, I think we'll get that soon. And with, you know, we, we got through the Obi-Wan series. I, I just don't really feel like Book of Boba Fett's going to get a season two, even though I, I would love it. I'm sure there'll be stuff that's brought in other places. Um, we we kind of have an endpoint for Mandalorian with the movie, even though they said that they don't really know when that's going to happen. They're at least thinking about it if they're thinking about capping it in a movie, which... I'm a fan of, hey, we need to have an end point to these stories and not just tell them infinitely until people stop watching. Yeah. I, like, I think that's why Rebels is so great is because they told the, they ended the story when they were on top rather than writing it out. Uh, so whatever that next slate of stories that we get is going to be is going to be highly affected by the reaction to the Acolyte. Um, yeah, and... and- and so not to start a tangent towards the end of the show, but to start a tangent with the Acolyte being set roughly a hundred years before the Phantom Menace. Do we think Plagueis is involved or no? I've, I don't know if I've asked you that. I know I've asked in, uh, I've, la- I've asked, geez, I've asked Lindsay that, but I don't know if I've asked you that because he doesn't have to be immune because of the new canon. Yeah. Uh, do I think it could happen? Yes. Do I think it will happen? No. Uh, just because I don't know if that's a route they're ever going to want to go down. It's a to me that's a Marjade type situation of like what good is actually going to come out of that. And I, and I just don't know because people have their expectations of what Plagueis is. Um, and that's, that's hard to, to deal with, you know, like we've got one of the best Star Wars books that was written, but you know, in the Darth Plagueis book and people have these ideas of Plagueis and we've talked about Plagueis and we know he's Palpatine's master and there's just a lot behind bringing that character in that I don't know if there's a lot of benefit that comes out of it in this story. Like maybe if we get like a Palpatine series, obviously we would need him, but I think unless we absolutely need him to tell the story, they're going to go in other directions. And technically in revenge of the Sith, it is heavily implied that he is Palpatine's master, but it isn't confirmed. So they could technically write that out of that entirely. I hope they don't, but they technically could. Wait, no, but in the opera scene, he says that he's his master. 
Like that's essentially no, what that says, whole scene is about. And his apprentice killed him in his sleep. It is highly implied. It is very implied yet not confirmed. Okay, so now you now we're playing Drew. We're just going to split hairs there about which context of the word they're using. I guess I'll give you that one. Uh, yeah, I mean, there's a lot of stuff they could change, but again, like I just don't know if it's necessary when you can create something new that people can get behind. You know, like, look at what happened with Martian Row. Like, you could have brought in, like, oh, the Sith are playing in the background and, and stuff. Or we can create this whole new threat with this brand new compelling villain that people are going to get invested in without the weight of everything else going on and expectations and 40 years of Legends novels and stuff. Just... Going back to our conversation about, you know, creative versus business decisions, I think going in a new direction or, or bringing in and creating new characters is almost always the best call. You have rare occasions like a Rogue One where you can, um, it's like, oh, well, this exact same character was over here in terms of Saw Gerrera. So like, it would make sense for him to be here. So just use him. Like he's a side character and we can enhance that story. And then, oh, that worked. So we'll build off of him. And that's, you know, made him much more than George ever expected him to be when he created him Clone Wars. But that's not the same thing as bringing in a Plagueis or something like that. Because Saw Gerrera had a really solid story in Clone Wars. But if we got nothing else after, after that, I don't think people spend a lot of time thinking about him. People have spent a lot of time with Plagueis. People have spent a lot of time thinking about Mara Jade. So bringing in these characters is almost always a negative. Uh, Which is now. why I love that they are hinting. Or I love that they're saying in the whining eras of the, or in the whining times of the High Republic, because it's like okay, Martian Rose story, and and all of that has been wrapped up, and now it's time in the waning era of the high Republic. Now it's time to get to this. That's why I really like it because that was what I thought at the beginning of the high Republic was, okay, where the Sith, where the Sith, where this, Oh wait, I don't really care about the Sith right now. Oh, right. Okay. For what? Wait, wait, what me? Zach doesn't care about the Sith. Oh, cool. This is nice. That's what I'm saying. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Like it's refreshing right now. There's the counter argument of Thrawn. Right? Like Thrawn got brought in and probably had more weight than either Plagueis or Mara Jade behind him when you consider the the cult following that he had. One hundred percent. As a so, Plagueis fan, one hundred percent. So all of that like everything I said, I completely understand that there is a shining example of how that is wrong. But I think just in general in storytelling, like or in Star Wars rather, that is the exception to the rule that is true across storytelling, which is it's it's healthier and better for your world to create something new than to try to force feed. Because I think you have to build the acolyte then around Plagueis instead of building a story that Plagueis fits into. And I think we all know Sith Lords don't live long. Like, they just don't. So, I mean, it's like, this is roughly 100 years before. Unless you're Palpatine, then you just keep reliving. Somehow, yes. Somehow. Somehow, Um, yes. um, But, yeah, I mean, like, from even the most basic, like, even the Old Republic, 
how long did Revan and Malik become Sith Lords? They were probably Sith Lords for what? Two, three years? Like, Palpatine's the longest reigning Sith Lord. Maybe outside of Bane, but when you look at those novels, primarily he's been hiding in the shadows. So he didn't really, like, while those novels are great, Bane didn't fucking fight up front. Like, the, the Sith Lords that are up front and center, they generally don't last long. So it's like, if you move um, Plagueis away from Immune and you make him a normal... Okay, yeah, cool. Roughly 100 years? Okay, maybe at the end of this tale, say the Acolyte is like super awesome, whatever. Maybe the final Sith or whatever has an apprentice that she names Darth Plagueis at the end, or it doesn't even happen at all. And it doesn't have to, and I think it's great. I think, I think getting new stuff is way better because... the. This is something that Star Wars fans have a hard time, and it's something that I've had a hard time with, and I've really had to come to terms with it, is those stories still exist. Plagueis mm-hmm. still exists in my head. That book is still great. I don't need the validation of the new canon to make that story any less awesome. That story still sits in my head. It's just adjacent adjacent to what it is now. Like Those yeah. new things can still exist, and we can also still appreciate the past. How many times do comic books reinvent themselves? Yeah, and I mean, there's always a bit of truth in legends, you know, as Ahsoka says. So I think yeah, buddy. you can kind of fill in your own history there until they give you something else. But I think you definitely could bring in Plagueis without making the whole story about him. If you do kind of a, a Thanos, you know, where he just turns around in the chair at the end of the show and you're like, Oh my God. And maybe it's setting something else up. But then I look at Andor and the end of season one with the death star thing. And I'm like, I love it and hate it at the same time because I loved the idea of what they were building was useless and it wasn't the point that they were building anything it was just the control factor that they had over them but then also there's the context of oh but cassian was building the thing that would be his own destruction both of those are equally compelling but opposite stories so you kind of have to weigh which side of the coin you value more you know um in terms of do you value building this new world or do you value creating these Easter eggs or these connections? And at the end of the day, as much as, and, and for people listening, like my star Wars brain goes into a web. I just give you guys my opinions and then contradict them all because I think one life is like a web. It's all complicated. That's not black and white. And so when I talk about, I would love to see Plagueis, and I would love to see Plagueis. I would die to see Plagueis. I think it's awesome. At the end of the day, when you look at stories like Andor, it's like, okay, no matter what threat he gets into, even though the writing is absolutely phenomenal, that mofo ain't dying in this series. And we don't need any more characters that we we don't know their ending. The whole point of the show should be the intrigue of especially when you're dealing with Sith, it has to be, if we are dealing with Sith, it has to be writing that line between Master, Apprentice, and Jedi, and who is simply going to 
live or die by that game of throne, that throne of the Sith Lord. And mm-hmm. if we don't have that tension of knowing like the master might not make it out, the apprentice might not make it out, whoever might not make it out, it loses its intrigue a little bit. And you can't I I I guess I'm working myself out through this. This is Star Wars therapy. You almost can't have Plagueis because you know he makes it. And you can't have this dichotomy of dark side where that balance between live or die is assured whether they're going to live or die. If you know they're going to live, it is not as intriguing to know that they're riding that line. Yeah. Yeah. We're, we're going to have to wait and see. Uh, I, I, I'm excited about it. Like 2024 is going to be a really fun year in Star Wars. And with that being said, in short, we are very excited for the Acolyte. We are highly, highly uh, cautious, but um, we're, we're excited to see what Skeleton Crew might offer. It's like, ah, okay, we'll see what happens. But um, with that being said, guys, that is this episode of Sith Talk. I am the host, Zach Chrisman. You can find me at Sith Talker 25 talking mostly barbecue and, uh, barbecue and working out lately. Um, we'll talk more Star Wars lately, uh, later. I've been talking about some of the Dark Tower stuff on my Instagram stories, particularly. I don't really post things. I just do stories. But other than that, Brandon, tell us where they can find you and tell us a little bit more about what we do at Clashing Sabres. Yeah, so you can find us in this feed. I mean, just press subscribe. You get all of our shows. I mentioned uh, the main podcast, Don't Burn Sacred Text. Uh, we got Forever Star Wars. Always have stuff coming out. We've also, of course, got our Patreon. Um, Amanda's putting out great shows over there. Uh, just kind of creative stuff uh, that is is really fun and compelling to listen to. So uh, you can get that. And uh, by Joining that, you support our mission to put Star Wars books into classrooms across the country. Um, we're looking at our next fundraiser and trying to get to that ten thousand uh, dollar lifetime mark, and uh, that'll just again continue to to help us put books into classrooms and get kids stories that they want to read. Uh, and that's the really exciting thing is just giving the kids the opportunity to read what they want to read, to read updated books because. I mean, working in the public education system for 10 years, I'm telling you guys, like it is hard to get up to date books that kids want to read. And that's written how we write and how we speak nowadays. You know, we've, we've got a lot of books from the 70s and 80s in middle school library. That's just ne- those stories are not as relatable to them. And so when they don't have high interest books to read, they're just not going to read. And if they don't read they are not going to be able to have a successful life. Like that's just the bottom line, the reality of it. And so we are, are able to be a very small part of helping that happen and helping kids be able to be successful. And we're able to do that because of our patrons uh, who are, are just amazing. And a hundred percent of that goes to uh, buying and shipping books. We don't buy any extras. This doesn't support our hosting fees or anything like that. So you can know, Every dollar that you're you're giving us is going directly towards supporting those students. And if you have a student, uh, or if you have a teacher you care about, if you are a teacher, uh, if you just live by a school and you can call and be like, "Hey, give me a random teacher. I want to send them a box of books." 
let us know. Go over to our website and and nominate a teacher, and we will get them a book. I've got a huge box of books that is just ready to go to whoever uh, I I get next in my email inbox. So go over and do that over on our website, ClashingSabers.net. And with that being said, guys, may the force be with you. Always. All Clashing Sabers productions are the intellectual property of the Clashing Sabers Network and ClashingSabers.net. All licensed sounds and images are the property of their respective copyright holders and are used for informational and educational purposes only. For more information on our nonprofit or to nominate a teacher, go to ClashingSabers.net. For questions or inquiries, please email us at ClashingSabersNetwork at gmail.com. You're just going to walk away?